0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for a special edition of the Author Interview Podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane, and today I'm delighted to be joined by a clinical professor of medicine, Professor Roy Fleischman from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Welcome, Roy, and thank you for giving up your time.
1: Uh, You're welcome.
0: Um, now, <clears throat> we're putting this podcast together to talk about a very recent publication, New England Journal of Medicine, of which Roy was one of the authors, and it talks about the oral surveillance study, which everyone has been uh, very keenly waiting for the peer review publication to appear, uh, and it's a study of cardiovascular and cancer risks in patients with tofacitinib induced rheumatoid. So, Roy, let's set the scene a little. What is the Jack scene like in the US before oral surveillance came out? What, in Australia, it's about 30% market share, and about 30% MTXIR goes straight to a Jack, and about 30% TNFIR goes straight to a Jack. What's the situation in the US? And then we'll talk about how the new FDA black box and their recommendation changed things.
1: Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what the percentages were. However, uh, the Jacks were taking a fair percentage of the market uh, prior to oral, all the information with prior uh, prior to oral surveillance. Uh, and by that, I mean prior to the, even the VTE data. Right? Uh-huh. Um, and I'm guessing it was probably about 20 25%. But I'm not sure. But it was a fair amount. Um, And uh, there were patients, a few patients, who could be started on JAX initially, uh, but that's because Mm -hmm. of our insurance information, right, where we're allowed. Um, Most of the patients were patients who came off biologics, you know, second line.
0: But the monotherapy space must
1: be a JAX space, unless the
0: IL-6 is uh, quite commonly used.
1: Yeah, so the monotherapy space, um, certainly during COVID, uh, was jack, because our IL-6s were used for COVID. We
0: couldn't get any for six to nine months, yeah.
1: Right. All
0: right, so, and just finally on that, has TOFA-10BD been taken up by the gastros in inflammatory bowel disease or is it still a little bit early to, to see if that uptake is going to be significant?
1: I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you...
0: Sorry, I, I was asking about the inflammatory bowel disease space. Are the gastroenterologists taking up TOFA-10BD up until all this, or is it still very early on?
1: No, I think that prior to this, the IBD people were using TOFA. I'm not quite sure how much, because that's... That's something I deal with, but I think that they were using TOFA. All
0: right. So that's the, that's the background. Now, the press release came out. Everybody made a lot of noise. No one looked at the data very carefully. It just became a kind of a, 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 a background white noise. And then finally, we see the peer-reviewed publication. And before the peer-reviewed publication, the FDA made their decision. So their decision was black box, all jacks, all indications and to use a TNFIR. What was the reaction amongst the American rooms when that came out?
1: Well, the reaction was uh, for some rheumatologists like myself was that that was kind of draconian firing uh, TNFIR first. Uh, although realistically you can make the argument um, my reaction in terms of making it class specific rather than drug specific was that was reasonable. Uh, however, uh, in the United States, we have a lot of different opinions uh, about a lot of different things, and certainly with this. So I've heard rheumatologists say, "Well, it should only be tofa because there's no information about upadacitinib or baracinib. Um It uh, should now it should be a third or fourth line drug." Others have said, no, it should be your first-line drug. I'm not going to listen to the FDA. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, in the United States, we the patients who have insurance, most of them are uh, required to go to a TNF because the insurance won't cover, and, and then go to a JAK. Um, so okay. there is a dichotomy of opinion. Okay. Okay. Um,
0: We'll talk about the editorial that accompanied your paper. I was particularly disappointed in that editorial, but let's talk a little bit about the peer-reviewed paper. Um, tell us how you put that paper together. What, what was the background of the oral surveillance study? Who did you study and, and over what period of time?
1: So, oral surveillance uh, was a post market requirement to the FDA. And the reason for this was uh, that during the development program, actually early in the development program, tofacitinib was used as an immunomodulated renal transplant. And in renal transplants, the dose is like 30 milligrams a day um, for several months, and then would go down to 10 milligrams a day. And there was an incidence of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that we're seeing. So there was concern about lymphoma. And then also in 2012, uh, as you know, uh, tofacin raises uh, lipids and there was concern about whether or not this would cause cardiovascular events. So the FDA approved the lower dose of TOFA the five milligram BID or the 11 milligrams a day now um, with a previso that a safety study be done, a prospective safety study be done looking specifically at mason malignancy in patients who were at the highest risk of MACE because they had to be over the age of 50 and they had to have at least one cardiovascular risk factor. Um, this group was also probably higher <clears> risk <throat> for malignancy because of their age, So that was the background for the study. Okay. Can you explain why
0: Tanicept in one place and Adalimumab in another? And is that purely commercial
1: decision of where Pfizer owned drug and where they didn't own drug. So Pfizer has Inteniceptin in the rest of the world, but not in the US. So they didn't want to use Inteniceptin in the US. They used use Adalimumab. Uh, yeah. that, that's my guess. I'm <laughs> not sure about that.
0: Right. And even though we say <coughs> cardiovascular risk factors, some of them, you know, like smoking, hypertension, elevated lipids, diabetes, or a history, but also family history and extra-articular disease and things. So, you know, I, there's a lot of our patient population that fits into that group. So clearly it's a group that we need to pay attention to. So what happened next? What, did, what was the methods and how did you go about doing this particular study?
1: Well, the methods were, so it was a case-based study. You had to have a certain number of events for malignancy and for cardiovascular events Uh, there had to be a certain number of patients treated for a period of time. So it turned out they were close to 5,000 patients treated uh, for an average of about three years, but the study actually went about five years, uh, almost five years, until the events were reached.
0: And you did have two doses, five BD and 10 BD, and halfway through there was a change in the 10. Can you explain what happened there?
1: Yeah, it wasn't halfway through, it was towards the end of the study actually. So there was a data safety monitoring board and what the data safety monitoring board noted because they were unblinded, was that there was increased risk of pulmonary embolism mortality in the 10 milligram dose compared to the five milligram dose and the TNF. So they asked for the 10 milligram dose to be, those patients to be reduced to five milligrams, which was what was done, um, uh, I think it was in 2018, 2019. 2019. And just,
0: as an aside,
1: because that suggests
0: that there might be a dose response and that there might be a, a level that's safe, but a level that's not so safe. Do you think when you push to ten BD, hypothesising that that starts getting pan jack and involving a bit of Jack two inhibition? Do you think that's likely?
1: Well, it certainly can. it's a
0: mechanism. Yeah. yeah, it's certainly
1: pan jack as you get to a higher dose. I'm not sure it's a Jack two. I'm not sure it's a Jack two. Okay. So okay. let, let me just say one thing in terms of what the results were, because I have actually seen some discussion of this on, uh, on, from the cytokine signaling forum, and the discussion has actually not been accurate, right? There've been, there've been some problems with it. So let's just discuss what the results were. So yep. the, the endpoint was uh, agreed to the FDA and Pfizer, Um, that the um, upper limit, the 95% confidence interval of a hazard ratio had to be less than 1.8 in order to uh, for the drugs to be non-inferior.
0: Now, hang on. For the non-statistician, that 1.8, is that reasonable? Is that expected? Is that what's done in most studies? Is that where you would expect it to be?
1: No, it's not the way I would expect it to be. However... The FDA, <coughs> the safety, safety studies historically have used that 1.8 and that actually came out to, from diabetes studies done 10, 15 years ago. So it is standard for them, right? Okay. Uh, okay. The way that I would do it, I think the way most of us would do it is we would calculate a non-inferiority margin, right? And then see whether or not the confidence intervals overlapped do they go over one? Uh, where, you know, were they higher than non-inferiority? So you can turn around and say whether or not it's statistically significant or not. But this is a safety study. This is not an efficacy study. So in reality, what happened was uh, in terms of MACE and malignancy, and we're talking about the five milligram now versus the TNF, none of yeah. those were statistically significant. Because when you look at the way that we usually look at it, and uh, um, everything crossed one. However, uh, the there was a numerical increase in events both for five and 10 and 10 more than five. So I think that there is a dose response for mace, malignancy, VT. There was a numerical difference. It was a small difference, but it was a numerical difference. So in a safety study, you know that that's important. So when the FDA turns around and says, well, you should use a TNF first, I think that what they're thinking is, is if the drugs are similar in terms of efficacy, and even if there's a small signal, right, and numerically there was, right, why not use a TNF first? And I think that's reasonable. And the other uh, point that is uh, important to make um, is that why is it class-specific? And I think you know the answer to that as well as I do. And that is you look at the integrated safety analysis of um, epetosinib, barosinib, fogadinib uh, actually, um, and as well as tofacinib, the incident rate of MACE, malignancy, SIE, VTEs uh, are ex- almost exactly the same in their integrated safety. So the FDA, you know, being conservative would say, you know, if that's what occurred in the trials, Um, then maybe it really is clear specific. But let me tell you what's problematic. What's problematic is, is that the incident rates were actually quite small. And what I've heard uh, actually from CSF, from some people in CSF, is that TOFACEN raises the risk of MACE and malignancy. And that (laughs) is not true, right? (laughs) That is not true. So one of the problems with the study was there couldn't be a real placebo group. You could have a patient RA for four or five years not treated, where a patient just treated conventional statins. Yeah. We know that TNFs are very good at reducing the cardiovascular risk, um, and we're, you know we're, we're pretty confident it doesn't increase the malignancy risk. Um, so it's my suspicion, but the study didn't prove it. The tocilizumab reduces those as well as as well but not quite as well as it, as, as, as the TNFs yeah. and then it gets into the question yeah then it gets into the question of, re- of relative risk versus benefit
0: right well I agree entirely because you look at the numbers and I've got the maCE numbers up here and just looking at the five and the TNF out of 5,000 patient years in each group, 47 TOFA cases and 37 TNF cases. If you just move five patients either way, it's different. And then if you look at the very baseline, well, there's a the 4% difference in current smokers with more in the TOFA five. And it wouldn't take much of the risk factors like smoking. Uh, there's a difference in diabetes the small. Smoking There's even a difference in cardiac aspirin use. That went against the toffer arm. So if you only have to shift five people either way, it could still be a chance effect. Except that the dose, except that the dose response argues that we shouldn't dismiss it.
1: Yeah, we shouldn't miss it. But there are some points here. So we did. We did. The authors really did have a lot of discussion on this. Um, someone I won't <coughs> mention who, like myself. Uh, really asked for the number needed to harm to be put in there, as I've learned from you. And we do have a number (laughs) needed to harm. And the number needed to harm is really in the hundreds, right, for both mace and malignancy, which means you have to treat, uh, it's like 500 more patients with TOFA to have one more mace than with uh, the TNF, and it's like 270 for malignancy. Yeah, exactly. One of, the, one of the other problems is uh, there were two problems in, in my mind. And, um, and you know, I hope Pfizer actually looks at this. They when they looked at the risk factors, the risk factors became very clear. It wasn't the whole population. It was primarily the patients who were over 65, patients with a history of smoking, patients with significant history of cardiovascular disease. And those are the ones who who had the events they haven't told us about disease activity. And so it would be very interesting if, the, so I can tell you that in, in, in the paper, you see that about 80% of patients actually achieved c low disease activity. Half of them were in remission. If half, if those patients, so that's about 40% of patients had virtually no events, and that's my suspicion, and then you saw events in the patients who had low disease activity, moderate to high disease activity. And there's a difference as you go up. Disease activity would make a difference, right? And we don't know that. Sure. The sure. other thing that <clears throat> is really important is you've seen the VTE data, because we presented that at ACR, and we saw VTE ra- rates over time, the, the incident rates over time. There was no difference. They, it wasn't going up asymptotically. It was, exactly the same all the way through the study for the TNF and for TOFA, right? And if the TOFA was really related to the VTEs, you'd expect that to go up. The same analysis in MACE and malignancy is probably the same, that didn't go up. So if TOFA really was different, you'd expect it to be going up. I think that you're seeing numerical differences but not really statistically significant differences. And my interpretation from this is really what we wrote in the the paper. Uh, Jazz in his editorial, I thought, went this way and went that way, but actually came back to where we needed to be, which is if the drugs are both good, right? You're starting out after methotrexate, and there is a numerical difference that favors uh, the TNF, why not use the TNF first? Right, We have 20 years <laughs> of experience with the TNF. But don't be afraid to use the jack if the TNF doesn't work.
0: And I think that's the reason why I'm trying to dissect these numbers and understand them, because there's a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Without understanding the data, Jacks are evil and move on. And I don't think that's the correct interpretation. I, I've just got the smoking mace results here. And the minute you look at patients who've never smoked, there is no difference against the TNFs. So a small imbalance can make a difference, especially when the numbers are small. And when you look at things like the Intract study, which looked at TANICEF versus tocilizumab, the actual rates with the TNF were back where you'd expect them to be, not as low as we're seeing in this study. Again, it can be quirks of these studies that that we're over-interpreting.
1: Yeah, so when we're writing the paper, the, the steering committee is on the paper. The, the, those are the first few, few authors. And um, I asked the question, the first question I asked was, well, we have to ask the question where if this study were done over again, would we get the same results? <laughs> and the answer yeah. from the steering committee was, of course we would, it was a perfect, it was a perfect study. <laughs> but you and I have been involved in so many studies where you do, do it once, you get a result, you do it the second time and you don't get the same result. A really good example of that is AstraZeneca's uh, um, uh, 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 map, right? Two identical studies, right? One didn't have an sRI for response, one did, right? And rom-
0: map, one get cardiovascular risk, the other doesn't. Yeah.
1: So I think <laughs> so I think that the important. The important thing for the audience to to understand is is exactly what you and I are saying. I don't think that TOFA is a terrible drug. I think it's a very good drug, I think it's very effective. Um, There are side effects with uh, TOFA, which which we demonstrated. Those same side effects occurred with the TNF, right? So if you're speaking to a patient, and if you say to a patient, I'm going to put you on a TNF, because you're not going to get a VTE, you're not going to get maize, you're not going to get malignancy. Well, indeed, you can't, right? But maybe, maybe you have a slightly less chance. And you do have a slightly less chance.
0: And I think you made a very valid point about the malignancies. The number needed to harm was 278 for a year. Um, the differences in the numbers were 62 versus 42 out of 5,000 patient years each. And if you have an imbalance in smoking, again, you're talking MACE, you're talking lung cancer, which drove the malignancy difference. So there are all these subtle things that that, uh, impact on all this. But there you are sitting in your office, Roy, you've had a person on top for three years, doing beautifully in remission, gets a heart attack or a lung cancer, looks on the web and the lawyers are saying this drug causes heart attacks and malignancies didn't dr Fleischman tell you all about that when he started this drug three years ago and he sues you so you're in the country of medico legal excess how do you handle that issue of informed consent now starting tofa and all the people on tofa already do you raise this issue of mace and cancer
1: so there are two answers to your question, right? First answer is, as I said before, because of our insurance system in the States, the chances are very strong the patient was on a TNF before they got to the jack. right? So that's FDA guidance, right? So that, that, that's, that's it. Um, since the data has come out, right? We have sp- spoken to every patient on TOFA and we have gone through the study, right? And I've used the number needed to harm, right? So I've said, you know, events occurred in both groups. The events rates were small, they were a little bit higher with TOFA. Um, what is the chances of your developing a mace or malignancy? And it's two in a thousand, three in a thousand, right? That's what it is. The patients who are already on TOFA, who are doing well do, and in remission, right? When I've had that discussion with them, they look at me and they say, you told me that my disease itself would, would reduce my lifespan because of cardiovascular events or malignancy. And that's why I had to take a drug and I couldn't get around. And now I'm taking a drug and I don't have any complaints at all, right? And you want me to switch to what, right? <laughs> so no, but nobody, nobody has changed, right? right. When we're starting out, all right, the, we do do the informed consent, but again, it's basically TNFs that have to be used first. All right? So patients will tell me, I prefer the oral pill, I prefer the chance of monotherapy because that's actually probably pretty good with the jacks, right? um, but I'll start the TNF because that's what I have to do, that's my access. But afterwards, if the risk is low and the drug really, really works, yeah, I'll switch. Now, if the patient's in moderate disease activity or high disease activity, there I'm concerned because I think that those are actually the patients who are at risk. And again, taking your point, when you look at
0: less than 65 malignancy, less than 60 and and never smoked malignancy, there was no difference between TOFA and the TNF. So it was clearly the smokers over 65 who were at the highest risk of both of these
1: complications. And then when you look at VTEs, because there's a lot of VTE data here too, right? And yeah. the VTEs yeah. occurred in patients with previous VTEs on oral contraceptives. There were no risk factors for VTEs, and it was high with the TNF as well as with TOFA. And if they didn't have yeah. those risk factors, there was virtually no VTEs. Yeah. Uh, so also, oral surveillance is a long paper, and it's a difficult paper, and the supplement is very long. But it's worthwhile reading, right? It's worthwhile reading. I, I think that um, the physician can be assured that TOFA is a reasonable drug, right? Is a reasonable drug. It has a place, but where would you put it? Where, where does the physician feel comfortable with it? Where does the patient feel comfortable with it? And, and that'll vary, right? I, I'm sure there are people who use it fourth, and I'm sure there are people who use it even first. Yeah.
0: And what do you tell the gastros now about the 10-BD? Because they're concerned because they haven't bothered to read the paper. They they've just looked at the headline.
1: Yeah, so I think that, the, you know, we talked about this. There the, the really is a signal with the 10 milligram. And that's the reason why the study was done. The study wasn't done so much because the FDA was worried about the 5. They were worried about the 10. And if you remember that Pfizer the, the wanted to get 5 and 10. The only way they can get the 10 was to do the study and show that it wasn't any different than the five or the TNF. But the study does show, I mean, there's certainly PE. I mean, that was not statistically the same. That, that was different. The uh, mentality was different. And uh, many of the numbers were really higher with the 10. So I would be concerned about the 10. But again, the risk is not that high right? And it depends upon what else the patient's being treated with, right? What are your other choices? So, I know, think I, the, yeah, I, would have, I think the gastros don't leave
0: them on 10 long term, and they're usually young, fit people with inflammatory bowel disease and no other comorbidities.
1: Right, so I just wrote a paper, which uh, has, it's actually now been accepted, it's going to be online soon on the Safety of Jacks, And we talk about that. So one of the problems with the FDA, right, uh, which was not a problem with the EMA, which was not a problem in Canada, where I know that they've uh, talked about this, is that the EMA, uh, the FDA said it's all diseases. But if we do the study in psoriatic arthritis, which has some similarities to RA, I've gotten a different result. But ankylosing spondylitis, are different patients, Use ulcerative colitis patients are different. They don't have the same risk factors. And would this really have been seen in those patients? Uh, and yeah, I don't know the answer to that. My suspicion is it would not, but until you do the study, you don't know. And I wanna make one other point, and that is I've heard, um, I was listening to uh, Kevin talk about this last week actually, and he was talking about why is, you know why is it the other, uh, the other drugs? because the other drugs don't have this data, right? They didn't do the study, right? The fact that they didn't do the study doesn't mean <clears throat> that the data wouldn't be there. So, so I'm okay with the FDA making it class specific in RA, but I don't know about the other diseases. And the EMA made it the only. Yeah,
0: and I think that. Um, Barry's done a similar study. They're going to publish it soon, but relying a lot. No, on no, no. French
1: Barry's Barry study is a VTE related study. Yeah, and, and, and it's a lot really of French data. What? I'm sorry. A lot
0: of French data in it. Yeah, keep going.
1: Yeah, but the, the Barry study is a VTE related study. Those are the events, and that one won't be won't be done for another couple of years.
0: Yeah, okay. So <clears throat> I was disappointed in the editorial because he made no attempt to separate five from combined and he virtually rubber stamped the FDA at the end of the article. So there was no attempt to answer the question, is this one Jack, all Jacks? Is this one dose, all doses? So I was a bit disappointed in that editorial. Anyway, um, so,
1: so, so, he- you, so- So I will tell you, so Jazz is a very smart individual, right? and he's very accomplished. I was actually surprised when I read the editorial, right? Because at one point he made the the statement, well, uh, we we don't know if Tufer really reduces the risk, right? But just not as well as the TNF. And then he goes back and forth and and he comes back with the FDA um, advice. So. You know, it was a discussion of the paper, but I would read you, if I were to listen to this, I would just read the paper and write your own editorial. What do you think?
0: <laughs> All right. Well, what about the future of Jacks then? There's a Jack 1, Tick 2 combinations coming, Tick 2s. Do you think this will stop development in the Jack
1: space? I don't think it's going to help, right? Uh, <laughs> but the Tick 2, the, the, the Tick 2... Um, the crabacidinib, the which is the drug that we're talking about, we talked about the tic two. Um, uh, we actually submitted a uh, abstract to ULAR on the safety. Now, the trials that we looked at were the PSO trials, so the psoriasis trials, different patients, and then a smaller studies in PSA, which are also different <laughs> patients. Um, and I can tell you, we didn't see signals. Um, but again, it's not that special population that we did in oral surveillance and the patient's really at risk. Um, the FDA has already said there are four jacks, right? So I think that BMS is really gonna have to really, really push to get something different. The um, tick 2 jack one uh, which FISA has actually, um, you know the results of that study, the results were, were fine, they weren't dramatically better better than anything else. Now, my understanding is that Pfizer is not going to pursue it. Um, you know, maybe because of oral surveillance, or uh, maybe because the results weren't that much different from what we've seen before. But I do think that um, you know, jacks are it's going to be problematic, uh, basically because of lawyers, right? Basically because of people who who turn around and say they raise a risk, right? Um, there are lots of things that we're not, able, we we're not able to do in oral surveillance to prove. And it really is incumbent on Pfizer, uh, the, the last word I want to make on this, to actually elucidate who are the patients really at risk. So it really may be a patient over 65, other risk factors, with disease activity, right? And if the disease is under control and if they're 70 years old and they don't have any events, yeah, you know, that would help me. That would help you. when yeah, we're in the clinic.
0: Sure, and I'm thinking about the VT. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've never seen a publication trying to pin down the mechanism to say it's a this and a, it's a it's not all Jacks. It's a Jack two or whatever. You know, I've never seen them publish the effect on um, antithrombin three, protein C, protein S, all the usual procoagulant things. I've never seen them actually no. make an effort to give me a mechanism so I can ah. understand the risk.
1: Right. So let me um, uh, clarify that. So they have done studies. Uh, Lily did the studies with maricinib. Um uh, Studies have been done with TOFA. I suspect they've been done with uh, Upatis syndrome, but I'm not sure. Uh, but none of those are abnormal. None of those are abnormal. Um, so at the FDA meeting for uh, Lilly for Baricitinib, uh, the FDA made a big point about being Jack Two, but the FDA hematologist, right, said no, it's not. Right, it's not a Jack Two effect. So you know we don't know why. Uh, I can tell you that in terms of the VTE, I am suspicious that the FDA may be wrong. And the reason why I'm saying that is what we saw in neural surveillance. And that is over time, if if TUFA really was TUFA five really was related to, to VTEs, uh, then you should have seen an increased risk, right? If I give you a drug that you know causes lung fibrosis, it gets worse over time, right? More patients get it. Um, I should have seen more malignancy, I shouldn't have seen more mace, right? This is a five-year study. And I didn't see it. So, you know maybe maybe I'm not smart enough to understand <laughs> the data, but I didn't see it. Yeah, so must well,
0: JAK pathway in the endothelium there's lots of things that you could hypothesize, isn't there? So, take home message from the oral surveillance study, Roy.
1: So, I think the take home message, message is, is I don't think the tofa raises the risk. I think the tofa probably reduces the risk, not quite as well as the TNF. So in my practice, what I do now is, and, and whether it was insurance or not, I would start a patient on a TNF after methotrexate. I would expect 80% of those patients to do great. The problem is gonna be the patient who can't tolerate methotrexate because they don't like TNFs monotherapy, and I would go to a JAK. And if the patient didn't do well with the TNF, I would go to a JAK. And I think that those are all, all, all valid. Um, so the end result of what the FDA said is start with the TNF. I'm okay with that. Okay. I'm okay with that. I think and, that most of us would be.
0: And do you think it'll? Do you think there's a difference amongst jacks really, both efficacy and safety? Do you think if you choose a different jack, just because they haven't done the study, we can't say it doesn't happen?
1: So it's all my own personal opinion because there's no data, okay. right? But we'll there is data, actually, it's the integrated safety databases. And you look, look at those, right? The incidence of VTE, the incidence of malignancy, the incidence of MACE, they're all in the same ballpark. So I don't think there's a difference in safety, right? Uh, from what I can see. But you, you know as well as I do, the only way you can really tell that would be to do a huge study of all the jacks and you know all these endpoints properly powered never to get done. No one's ever gonna do that, right? But yeah, take a look at the safety databases, you can't see a difference. In terms of efficacy, you know, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, Barry 4, Patterson 15, TOFA uh, 5, they, they all work. Uh, you, uh, I've seen data from, from your country that you can switch from one jack and the patient doesn't work to another jack. And they get and they get benefit, right? It's about 50% of patients, right? Um, but if they have a side effect to one jack, they'll probably have a side effect that same side effect to the other jack. That makes sense to me too. Yeah. So th- there has to be a difference in the jacks, right? Because because of what you've shown. Um I think that that's in a group of patients, right? It, 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 but in individual patients, I'm sorry, in a group of patients, it will be the same individual patients there will probably be differences, but not in terms of safety.
0: Well, thank you very much again for your time, Roy. I greatly appreciate your time and trouble. And I think it is very important that people understand studies like this one to not make the wrong conclusion. So I think your publications on safety And your voice needs to be heard on these issues because they provide balance and let people understand what's behind the numbers. So thank you very much. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, you can get detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesigning.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast media. And uh, give us a like, and let us know what you think with some feedback. We greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much for your time, Roy. I look forward to catching
1: up in June. You're welcome, and so am I. Finally seeing you <laughs> live after two years.